Thinking Philosophy. I'm Deborah Stone, coming to you from Australian Catholic University, where we believe in asking the big questions. Life is hard. At times, each of us faces pain, grief and loss. Some of us are victims of vast trauma caused by war, poverty or natural disaster. But even those of us who have more fortunate lives can be devastated by personal tragedy. It's perhaps no wonder that many people sink into periods of deep despair. The World Health Organization has named depression as the number one cause of ill health and disability, reporting that 300 million people are now living with depression. And that sense of despair is getting worse. Worldwide, the rate of depression increased by 18% between 2005 and 2015. Doctors and psychologists are prescribing an increasing number of antidepressants and other treatments to alleviate this suffering. But is wiping out suffering possible or even desirable? Philosophers seek to understand the role of suffering in our lives and how changing belief systems have changed our experience of suffering. With me to consider the nature of suffering and its particular challenge for modern life is Dr. Jamie Parr, a lecturer in philosophy at the Australian Catholic University. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Does philosophy have an approach which could help us understand the increasing rate of depression? Possibly, yes. Um, I think we have to remember that human beings are enormously complex and depression is a very complex illness and very often it... Uh, those who suffer from um, depression um, would appear to have all of the items of a life that would make for someone who's very happy. Um, career, friends, uh, family. Um, I personally have known people who, who have a tremendous number of ostensible goods, but yet are... Um, crippled with um, sadness. Um, now, this isn't to say that philosophy can't speak to depression at all. I think it can. But it does, um, I think it should warn us that, at the very least, we shouldn't seek to reduce something as complex as um, human sadness just to one, particularly depression, just to one explanation. Um, generally speaking, however, um, I think philosophy can say a great deal about, um, if you like, uh, the negative in life, uh, suffering, pain, and so forth. Um, each of us has um, a task um, to respond to the pain in life. Um, there's no way of avoiding this. Um, and if you like, from a certain point of view, it's very hard not to feel sorry for the human. Um, we lead such uh, brief lives um, and we're so painfully aware. Um, we, you know, one of the, um, one of the, melancholy advantages of, say, reading a biography, for example, is that you get to see the whole 
arc of someone's life from birth to death, of course mediated through the, the biographer, but we're all caught within our own arcs. We, we can't really see beyond that, of course. And um, we, we all struggle with the things that life gives to us, um, all of the negative things that we have to face, and there's no escape from it. So I think, given that we all face this task, um, given how sensitive we are and how confused we are for so, so much of the time, I think philosophy, which broadly conceived is the, the quest to um, investigate the nature of human reality, is, um, is essential. Is that because philosophy has some hope of giving us meaning in our suffering? Um, I think meaning and the quest for meaning is, is at the very centre of, of much of what philosophy attempts to do. Um, part, of the, part of the reason that I think we have, that we all face, or that I frame, frame it in this term as... Um, part of the reason why I frame our confrontation with the negative in terms of a task is because we all crave meaning to some to a greater or lesser extent um, I think we need to understand this idea of meaning very carefully this is not um, an, merely an intellectual kind of meaning but really a, an existential meaning we we want our lives to have a sense of purpose and coherence um, and we do that um, um, we pursue that meaning and coherence and purpose in a number of ways. Um, part of the problem, part of the challenge of um, life, however, is that we are inevitably going to be faced with events that challenge or even destroy that um, hard-fought, uh, hard-fought for meaningfulness, um, periods of suffering, um, of of any kind, um, and this is one of the reasons. This is one of the chief reasons why I think that, from a certain point of view, we are. Um, it's it's almost impossible not to feel sorry for us because we 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 crave meaning, and yet meaning is so often lacking, particularly in catastrophic experiences that. Um, obtrude into life so forcefully and yet do so without bringing a sense of purpose or meaning uh, with them. Uh, terrible illnesses that are diagnosed and, you know, our, one of the first reflexes that we have emotionally and otherwise is to ask why. And sometimes there is no uh, why at all, um, certainly not within the experience itself. Do you think the increasing rate of depression might be linked to the increasing difficulty for modern humans of finding that meaning? Um, again, with the caveat that depression is extremely complex, I think, but with that in place, I think, I think it could be a factor. I think it likely is a factor. Um, one of the uh, tremendous advantages of a faith is that it allows us to 
um, integrate into a, a framework of meaning and purpose. So not just an intellectual framework, but a, a practice of living. It allows us to integrate these terrible experiences of the negative um, and make uh, sense of them, even if um, the um, the ultimate uh, roots of this or that negative experience are, for example, um, you know, hidden in the mystery of God, for example. Nonetheless, we, we have the framework of a religious faith within which to place those experiences. And um, that framework also gives us the, the tools to respond to that experience in a, um, in a way constant with the framework. And if, if we don't have that, then it's not to say that we don't have the means to respond, but we, we are missing one of the primary um, means by which human beings have, um, have responded to the difficulty of life. So in Western thought, that has traditionally been mediated through Christianity, mm. and in particular through the idea of the transfiguration of Christ. Mm. What does that mean, and how does it provide comfort to those who believe it? Well, the transfiguration of Christ in the Western church is, is actually surprisingly um, deprioritized, uh, certainly when you compare it to the Eastern Church, where it has a lot more prominence. Um, but the idea of transfiguration generally, uh, the transfiguration of the negative that Christ, um, that for, for Christians Christ came to enact, is, um, at least in my reading, at the very centre of uh, the faith. Um, so, generally speaking, of course, Christianity is a highly variegated uh, phenomenon, but... Um, Christian, um, for Christians, um, the, the, the incarnation, the passion and the resurrection of Christ, if you like, enacts a, um, an eternal and a cosmic transfiguration of the negative. So in living and dying and then uh, being resurrected as a human being, God um, takes the negative in life, so the the primary experiences of the negative in life being suffering and death, and doesn't abolish them. People still die, people still suffer, but um, enables the Christian to encapsulate those negative experiences within a an encompassing affirmation, um, which is that after Christ for Christians. Death is no longer a uh, transit to oblivion, it, it is the uh, transit to a new life, and uh, suffering is um, very often the um, the way in which God shows favour. Uh, God uh, scourges those whom he shows favour to and so forth. And so the, the, for a Christian, the, the evangel, the, the good news is that now from this point of view, you can interpret it as now the the negative is no longer solely negative, but has been not merely transfigured, but definitively transfigured. Um, That's a very comforting idea. Absolutely, absolutely. And and if you if you um, view Christianity as as I said, this framework of um, within which we can orient ourselves and place the various experiences, good and bad. 
um, it provides a tremendous amount of comfort and consolation because the that which obtrudes into life, the the suffering and the pain of life from whichever source it may come, can be integrated into this evangel, into this overarching positive, which is to say, well, there is a reason, there is a coherence, there is an answer to the question, why? Even if that answer ultimately is to refer it to the mysterious um, um, will of God. Is there any way for those who don't have faith to access that kind of comfort? I think, um, I think so. Yes, but with with a with an important caveat. Um, I would say there are three main sources um, for the the transfiguration of the negative uh, in a life that doesn't um, operate within a religious framework. Those would be creativity, uh, love, and family. Um, so, for example, um, Nietzsche um, regarded philosophy uh, as the art of transfiguration. Um, so, the the rendering by human beings um, of negative experiences into poetry, into books, and artworks of all kinds, and so forth. You can give an example of this with the act of writing. Um, personally. I find, and I think this applies, I think there's a lot in this idea that in the act of writing, the, the self kind of disappears. You become transparent to yourself and this, this um, convenient fiction of, a, of, in my case, you know, Jamie Parr, uh, the, the, the construct that goes around in the world and he's talking to people and he's holding this interview right now, that, that kind of goes away to an extent, becomes transparent to itself and ideas and um, feelings um, rise to the surface in the act of writing that um, that are kind of closed off to you otherwise. And I think um, that can be very purging, very cleansing and to, to render those feelings that, that you pull from yourself into, into a piece of into a piece of writing, into a, into a novel, or whatever it may be, is is one way of transfiguring that which afflicts us into into something that actually allows us to feel that life is worthwhile, that, that overall, on balance, life is worth living. Um, a bit like how um, journaling is regarded as so cathartic for, for many people. I think so, yeah. Uh, I think anything that enables us to to engage with it's not simply that which afflicts us obviously obviously people write and, and create poetry about uh, you know and so forth about very good things um, so it's important to 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 state that it's not simply about negative things but so much of life and so much of art is engaging with that with that which is at least troublesome in life and um, and I think that's absolutely right I think anything that enables you to to work through these kind of feelings and express them in something that is rendered, whether it's language or music or anything, is is of enormous value. Um, uh, 
falling in love with someone is is the second example. Um, you know, some people are transfiguring just by being in your presence or even just the idea of them. You know, and and of course, falling in love is, you know, when you when you love someone, particularly in that first um, that first stage. You know, the good stage. You know, before you have to have a lot of patience. Um, the <laughs> um, the everything is coloured differently. Everything shines differently, and all these possibilities open up that that didn't exist previously. Um, and 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 of course, family as well. You know, we. We build around ourselves, you know, um, or at least we try to build around ourselves, um, you know, these kind of bastions of family and friends and so forth, uh, which of course makes it all the more devastating when when things occur that disrupt that kind of order. Uh, but the the caveat I wanted to the uh, caveat I wanted to in- include is that religious faith has the advantage. Um, of um, asserting that its form of transfiguration is eternal. That um, even though human life is constantly, you know, is essentially mutable, everything is changing for us. And of course, in the end, you know, we die and people die. Um, God is eternal and so forth. And so the those who do not operate within the within a religious framework, I think have to come to terms with that mutability uh, in a way that is different for and perhaps more comforting perhaps for those with religious faith. Now you mentioned Nietzsche as someone who had an idea about this kind of transfiguration for the the modern the person who doesn't um, embrace God. Mm. What was it that Nietzsche brought to the uh, discussion that was new? Well, I think, I mean, Nietzsche was raised in a religious household. Um, and so he, and he was, by um, accounts of those who knew him, he was, he was actually quite, quite a pious young man known as the little pastor uh, when he was when he was young um, but Nietzsche is of course now um, for those who have heard of him he's now well known for his um, his uh, anti-christian position um, God is dead is probably the exactly, phrase most commonly exactly. associated with Nietzsche exactly and I think for many people they um, they miss the note of mourning. That is actually um, bound up with with that idea. Uh, Nietzsche is an immensely subtle and complex thinker, and no more so than on this this issue. Um, he announces this this idea of um, God is dead in a few places, but it's both a liberation for Nietzsche, but also um, a a rather portentous. Announcement, because for Nietzsche it announces that we are moving into a phase of disorientation, kind of dislocation from precisely that kind of religious framework that hitherto has provided human human beings, both individually and at the level of whole populations, with uh, meaning and purpose. So, for Nietzsche, the so-called death of God, which means that. Um, 
the, the, the central axioms of the faith of the uh, Judeo-Christian way of looking at the world are now becoming untenable for increasing numbers of people and when that when that happens that foundational set of um, uh, practices of life and ways of understanding the world are increasingly delegitimized and therefore um, one of the consequences of this is um, an increasing inability to precisely place the the negative in life within a kind of um, affirmation giving framework of meaning and purpose so we we are increasingly seeing um, arguably we are increasingly seeing um, a a, um, a kind of uh, an unmet need for meaning and purpose. Um, one one example, possibly, could be the um, sudden and rather phenomenal popularity of figures such as uh, Jordan Peterson, um, who, regardless of what one may think of him, would appear to have tapped into um, uh, an, an undercurrent of um, craving for meaning and purpose. You know, roughly speaking, his central message is to take responsibility for oneself and to to um, to kind of forge a meaningful approach to life. Um, and of course, he has a kind of religious slant to this as well. Um, one interpretation of this popularity is that there is this kind of hunger out there for precisely the kind of deep, uh, penetrating coherence that gives life direction and order and particularly allows us, kind of nested within that is, is this ability to respond creatively, positively and affirmatively to the negative. Right. So Nietzsche is probably um, best known, apart from for God is dead, for mm. that which does not kill us makes us stronger, yeah. which brings us to that the way in which suffering fitted mm. into his thinking. Mm. Is there a, a close relationship between the idea that, that God is dead and the idea that um, we need to make some meaning out of suffering and mm. suffering making us stronger is perhaps a kind of meaning? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, Nietzsche, um, one of the uh, fridge magnet um, phrases you often see as well attributed to Nietzsche um, is uh, it's usually badly translated but it's um, whoever has a, a why um, to his life is able to bear any how any mm -hmm. condition of life and I think generally speaking that's that's uh, true I think um, one of the interesting things with uh, Nietzsche, and this is not simply limited to Nietzsche, but also figures such as Pascal as well, um, is that um, a life somehow devoid of suffering would in some sense be a benighted life, would, would be a life that at the very least was um, um, precluded from a kind of existential depth. Uh, there is an image in... Um, I think uh, thus spoke Zarathustra, uh, which Nietzsche regarded as his most uh, life-affirming work of a um, of a tree 
the basic idea being, um, you know, those who think that the tree could have grown to such a an impressive proportion without weathering tremendous storms and so forth um, are mistaken. Uh, Nietzsche, over and over again, um, in his um, in in his books, makes the point that those who wish to um, uh, certainly those who wish to probe the, the 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 nature of life to really explore this extraordinary uh, adventure of being alive um, must come to terms with the fact that to do that as we kind of increase our our joy in life we also increase our exposure to pain um, and I think he Nietzsche himself um, suffered tremendously uh, physically uh, for a great deal of his life and he he understood the value of what physical suffering um, actually gives um, gives to an individual it for, for Nietzsche suffering experiences of suffering physical or not um, experiences of tremendous uh, um, pain allow us to appreciate aspects of ourselves aspects of existence that we would not be aware of otherwise they um, these experiences open up the world to us in um, in new often very frightening ways but for individuals who are willing to um, kind of lay lay hold of these experiences with a fair amount of courage they are they they are sources of tremendous profit um, they enable us to appreciate the complexity of life the the depth of ourselves and of others um, t- to be more sensitive to the plight of others and i think this kind of orientation to experiences of suffering also enables us to be more more intellectually sensitive, particularly to any uh, belief system that makes claims about ultimate reality. Um, so I think suffering, particularly in Nietzsche, but generally is um, it is enormously beneficial. The problem is, of course, that it hurts so much, um, but. There's there's no way of getting around this, you know. You you can't evade the negative. You can only work out some kind of response to it. One of the key things that Nietzsche um, shows us is that um, we are going to be faced with the negative, regardless of whether we believe in um, a god or not. And so, learning how to uh, draw profit from suffering in in a way that is constructive and creative, and actually leads to um, an affirmation of life um, is essential. So we become more fully realised human beings by suffering. Um, It has some value, which is always transfiguring then, if we appreciate the very nature of suffering. Exactly, yeah. I think um, the um, individuals who have gone through life... um, with their eyes closed to their own um, pain um, are often 
rather unpleasant figures to behold once they you know they reach a certain a certain age because you know we we tend to look to our elders um one of the things that we look to our elders for is is for uh, guidance um in, in you know in the face of the difficulties of life and um there's a certain contemptuousness of uh, that many people feel when someone who we feel should be seasoned and experienced in um you know in the difficulties of life um really isn't and um i think um you know the the bottom line is that we are going to face problems throughout life and um part of growing into maturity as a human being is accepting this and and learning how to profit from the pain that we are inevitably going to face um and plus you know to go back to a, the point that i began with um we are immensely complex creatures and um coming to terms with that complexity in a creative and 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 um constructive way is is extremely helpful um not not least because it equips us with the ability to actually respond perhaps more constructively to the negative when when we encounter it so um suffering really is um arguably the primary engine of human um sophistication and refinement uh, both individually and culturally um and so it only underscores the um the deep seriousness um with which nature for example approaches the so-called death of god because if we view christianity as if you like a kind of engine of transfiguration of the negative once that engine starts to run down we are we're still going to be faced with the negative uh, and we still will be faced with the task of responding to it both culturally and individually and uh, if we can't do so then we run the risk of um uh, becoming a lot more prone to despair uh at the very least um losing the kind of existential depth that for example is cultivated by christianity and other religions and this really comes back to the very value of philosophy because philosophy allows us to think about what we're experiencing and therefore perhaps to make some meaning out of it and not just suffer Exactly, yeah. I think um certainly how I approach the teaching of philosophy is to um a- a- attempt as much as possible to um relate the ideas that are covered uh to the to the concrete living of the lives of of everyone. I think the um at least in the west the um philosophy emerges as a concern for the practice of human life uh, and questions about how um how one should go about doing that in in order to to flourish in the most fitting way however that's conceived um and so i think uh, a concern for philosophy 
approached in that way is fundamentally a concern with the the primary experiences of human life and those experiences must always include the negative um, and personally I think the 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 enormous richness and um, joy of being alive um, all of the positives in life of which there are a great many can really not be properly experienced and lived through joy cannot be most fully laid hold of without at least an appreciation of the of the negative um, that's a great place to leave it dr jamie parr thank you so much for joining us on thinking philosophy a podcast of the australian catholic university Thanks too to Trey Karunaratna, one of our talented media production students at ACU, for his work on the show. We're broadcasting here from the Strathfield campus of the Australian Catholic University, which, as you may be able to hear, is in the flight path of Sydney Airport. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to share it and rate it on your podcast provider so other people can enjoy it too. I'm Deborah Stone, and you've been listening to Thinking Philosophy. <laughs>